Hey there, we're the Westlap Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. I'm Eric Skoskaspo. Well guys, last week we took the Northwestern schedule through the end of October and now we flip the calendar to November. Uh, so we got a string of, of games against teams with uh, <sighs> weaker defenses. Um, <laughs> I think we all know where this is headed. Yeah, uh, the, no, yeah, November 4th, the, uh, Wrigley, Rig- Field. R- Wrigley Field. Wrigley Field. Wrigley Field. Don't take us, take don't, us out to the ball take, game. D- buy us some peanuts. Buy us some Cracker Jacks. Do, do not do that. And, do not take your children to this. Hide your children. Do not give them some Cracker Jack and, and hide them in the closet, uh, because uh, uh, my God, from from a I'm gonna de- I'm gonna just I'm just I'm gonna say this like people can be mad at me like I would encourage any Northwestern fan with a ticket to this game to fleece some Hawkeye fans. Yeah, I get like oh, like you, you f- can like make, you can make some bank fund your season tickets with yeah, this. They go go to a Cubs game. If you want to see, we're gonna. I mean, we're gonna circle back to this Iowa team eventually, from like a big picture standpoint. From my piece of it, I mean, so if we step back for a second, last year's Iowa defense is one of the greatest defenses in the history of college football. I'm not. That's not hyperbole. That's not anything. There, it's one of the greatest defenses you'll ever see in college football. They gave up less than four yards of play across passing and running. It was the number total, two total defense in the country behind Air Force. They gave up a stupid 170 pass yards per game, and they only gave up 101 rush yards per game. Those are all absolutely phenomenal, some of the greatest you'll ever see numbers. But there have certainly been times over the course of these 10 years of potting where, like, the best Jim Leonard teams got up to those level of numbers, those level of productions, those level of numbers. Now you have to take this Iowa defense and you have to put them on a special pedestal above all of those teams because they did all of this despite being part of a team that was effing 108th in time of possession last year, 108th, Iowa played football on one side of the ball last year and did this on defense. It is unreal. Um, and t- to top all of this off, this defense that sent five guys to the NFL and sent two guys to the first round might be just as good as last year's defense. Yes, Jack Campbell's gone, Lucas Van Ness is gone, Riley Moss is gone, Kayvon Merriweather, Seth Benson, they're all gone. Everything else is back, and good God, there is so much of it. So first of all, on the defensive line, we have Noah Shannon, Logan Lee, Deontay Craig, Joe Evans, Aaron Graves. Those five guys are unbelievably good. And that's just the known commodities. That's if there's no other freshman or sophomore who just hasn't gotten playing time yet that they start working in with this rotation and just gets to have nothing but sweet reps because the other five guys in front of them are so good. Uh, it's awesome at, at defensive line. 
And at linebacker, you want to just reflex action and be like, well, Iowa's got to have a drop off here because they had maybe two of the three best linebackers in the conference last year in Campbell and Benson. Except Iowa pulled in what, honest to God, might be the number one transfer in the nation. I'm not exaggerating. I don't, off the top of my head, recall any major Caleb Williams-style quarterback who jumped from one team or another. And that means it's probably this transfer right here. Nick Jackson from Virginia. This guy had 352 career tackles at UVA. 352 at middle linebacker for a bad Virginia team. And now you are putting him smack in the middle of a God defense. He, There's a really good chance he's first team all Big Ten. There's a really good chance they pulled a first team all Big Ten middle linebacker in through the portal. And the secondary might be Iowa's best unit. Cooper DeJohn is thought of as this future first round corner. Dalton Shute was the fourth leading tackler on last year's team and is a freight train. And Xavier Nakampa is one of the only five-star recruits in Iowa history. And that's what they're looking at in the secondary behind all of this other stuff. So you look at last season and being like, that's one of the greatest defenses in the history of college football. How could this defense measure up? Because of whatever Scuzz is about to say now. Because Good God, if this team gets anything from the offense this year, I don't even know what to say. So so that's a real question now, isn't it? <laughs> um, uh, you know, talk about a one-sided team last year. Uh, you know, the jokes ran wild about the Iowa offense all last year, all through the offseason. Uh, but they made some changes there, Scuzz. Well, they didn't make any changes. Um, I <laughs> mean, unless, unless 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 you want to count the stipulation in Brian Ferentz's contract that they have to average twenty five points per game or better for him to keep his job. I guess that's a change. And frankly, it's like the funniest off season thing ever is this this black and gold saga of Brian Ferentz. Um, but here's the thing, folks. I don't mean to spoil the fun. There is a good chance he achieves that twenty five points per game, and it's because Iowa has added at least a plausible answer for the three things that have befallen their offense in these last two horrible years. So number one, offensive line. Now this is the most precarious of the three. If anything, if Brian Ferentz doesn't make it out of next season, it's because the offensive line continues on a trend that I've been pointing out for, for a number of seasons now, which is kind of preposterous. And that's that like Iowa no longer fields big offensive lines. Like last year there was nary a guy over 300. Which maybe, is just so weird. Yeah, maybe it's so weird. Maybe one dude was at three oh five. Like, like go look at the Illinois offensive line. It is what Iowa used to be. They outweigh Iowa on average by like fifteen pounds. It's crazy. Um, this is still mostly true this year. So there's lots of returners. They didn't lose very many guys. They added two really nice transfers. Um, center and right tackle still look woefully undersized. And I'm not just talking about the starter. I'm talking about like the three dudes behind the starters. Um, like 285 for a right tackle at Iowa. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, I, I don't understand. Um, now left guard and left tackle, 
yeah, they look average, but like we're still talking, you know, guys that, that are listed at 300, 305. That's not an Iowa offensive lineman. Now their right guard is like a 350 pound transfer from somewhere. So that like that, that fits the bill. But um, the thing, like if, if Brian Ferentz continues to try to run down everybody's throat, like Iowa of old did, it is not going to work. And this offense will continue to suck. Now, I don't think that's what's going to happen. I think the pieces are there for them to have big improvement here, but we need to see it on the field to like know for sure. Cause like if we've learned anything the last couple of years, it's Brian's parents is like stubborn and maybe dumb. Um, number two, wide receiver. So the top two guys last year were both tight ends again. Um, and they had like 90 catches and a thousand yards combined. Um, Ch- Charlie Jones left this team and almost had more yards, did have more touchdowns receiving for Purdue than all of Iowa's receivers. So, um, like they've just been really bad in this, in this space. They, they had no, no real deep threat or go-to player last year outside of, um, the tight ends. Uh, this year, not only do they add Eric all from Michigan, um, who was the starter at tight end for Michigan last year until he got injured. They also bring in, and, and more importantly, in my mind, um, freshman Caleb Brown from Ohio State. This is the best-looking prospect Iowa's had at wide receiver in probably about five years. So then third, uh, a quarterback with some proven competence, uh, Cade McNamara, who's frankly much more than that. Uh, he was really good at Michigan in 2021. Yes, he's more of a game manager. Uh, anybody who's listened to my me rail about picking J.J. McCarthy over Cade McNamara because of the upside will... You know, like it doesn't mean Cade McNamara. I, I was not trying not. to go from like Big Ten championship to national championship. They're just trying to have a working yeah. offense. <laughs> yep. Um, and but frankly, with that D, like a yep. working offense could I, I like I don't know if it gets them in the conversation. We'll see. But um, here's the thing about McNamara. Like, regardless about what I talked about with offensive line and wide receiver, and, and to your point, John, about like do you get anything from this offense? I guarantee you that Cade McNamara does better than the 55% completion that Iowa's quarterbacks had last year. I guarantee that he does better than the 5.8 yards per attempt that Iowa's quarterbacks did last year. I guarantee that he has a better than one-to-one TD to interception ratio as the Iowa quarterbacks did last year. Like, the pieces are 100%. He doesn't even need to be great. He doesn't, like, you were saying, like, John, you didn't remember any, like, uh, Caleb Williams type QB transfers like this might be the one that comes <laughs> yeah. closest um, and it's not because Kate McNamara is so incredible or so good it's that like what what Iowa had before in this position was so just incredibly awful oh I forgot one stat there's no way Kate McNamara gets sacked 38 flipping times this year like this offense is going to be much better as a result and if the defense can really live up to that billing holy moly yeah We've we've had this discussion and before the pod and or like kind of this week and on one hand yeah maybe like Iowa fans will be screaming for Brian Ferentz to get fired by like a third of the way through the season it's it's possible but look Michigan's the best team in the Big Ten it's definitely Michigan they're the best team in the Big Ten. For sure, we have them number one in the pod poll as the number one team in the country. It's Michigan. But if you wanted to make an argument for Iowa, I'd listen. I would listen. Because 
like Scuzz said, they have a proven steady hand at quarterback. The offensive line should be better. They have a great young uh, receiver and a good tight end. All things for an, a defense that literally just needs any upward mobility, and it will exponentially improve the quality of this football team. That's how good the defense is. I, like 2019 is a good marker. So in 2019, Iowa went 10 and 3. The defense that year, it's the best that they've had statistically since since uh, last season's. Um, they only gave up 14 points per game. They only had four returning starters coming into that year on D. But they, they put up numbers pretty similar to to what they did this past season. Um, maybe not maybe not quite, a, quite as good. On the offensive side, you had Nate Stanley and Amir Smith-Marset, like a competent quarterback, a really good receiver, the typical good tight ends and offensive line and running backs, all that other sort of stuff, like typical Iowa other stuff. And again, they went 10 and four. It's, it's, it's far and away their best offensive output. Um, not, I'm sorry, not their best offensive output, but like a really good offensive output, 20, 25, 26 points per game. If they were, if they were really able to keep opponents under 15 and score 25 or 26 this next year, like, like they're just going to suffocate teams. It's, it's going to be amazing. It's, it's going to be un, unreal. There's, there is absolutely, I mean, first of all, like, I think we all think Iowa's like they're easily the favorite in the West. And if you're trying to map scenarios to a Big Ten championship for any team other than Michigan, Iowa might get into a situation where with this defense and, you know, and a, a transfer quarterback looking for revenge, they only have to beat Michigan one time. I, w- I was going to say, like, what are the odds for a North, uh, Michigan-Iowa Big Ten championship. So we game. might want to save this for because we're about to, to switch to Wisconsin. But I have some like yeah yeah. When, when you look when you look at the odds makers right mm-hmm. now, like Wisconsin is very clearly. The, I, I'm not seeing a lot of Big West odds out there, but like Wisconsin is like unequivocally the fourth team on the conference championship list after Michigan, Ohio state and Penn state. And I think it's just lazy. Yeah. We're going to, and, and, and I, that's like, the thing is like, when we're, we're, we're going to talk about yeah. it here, but like, but like pe- people are looking at returning personnel and it's really impressive. The number of starters Wisconsin is bringing back. Um, and I think they're looking at all those losses, John, that you talked about on defense with Iowa and they're making a quick assumption because Iowa has to go to camp Randall McNamara's already won there. I was mm-hmm. won there before. It is, yeah. It is not that easy of an evaluation. I think people are being really lazy about it. Yeah, not to put the cart before the horse because I know we're about to go here. But what a lot of what we're saying with Iowa has to do with the teams that we haven't got to yet in in the Big Ten in the back Oof. half of Northwestern schedule. In terms of Northwestern, I don't know what to tell you about any of this. Yeah, <laughs> like just, yeah just we should probably just move on to Wisconsin. Uh, so yeah, let let's let's go ahead and and look at the Badgers. Um, November eleventh uh, at Camp Randall, uh, Wisconsin team uh, under Luke Fickle now. Um, still baffled by their choice, a defensive coordinator. Uh, John, talk some sense into this. Yeah. So for the first time in forever, 
Um, I would say that there are some storm clouds on the horizon for this Wisconsin defense. And it's not just because, as Sam alluded to, they literally dumped the best defensive coordinator in the nation, Jim Leonard, onto the open market. Now, obviously, it's a little bit more complicated than that because Leonard would have effectively kind of needed to be demoted. Um, and you're effectively saying like a new coach is coming in. We're bringing all of his people. We would demote you. But hey, you know, we could still find a spot for you on the staff. And that guy's going to be like, no, are you kidding? After everything I've done. And to be clear, no one's done more than Jim Leonard. It's the best resume out there. Um, and so, you know, that was the end result is Jim Leonard being dumped onto the open market. Um, but regardless of that and regardless of the storm clouds I alluded to, I should say right off the top, let me make it clear right away. Wisconsin's defense was awesome last year. And honestly, as I'm sure Scuzz will get to, thank God for Wisconsin that it was awesome last year. Um, but in particular, they were unreal against the run um, with Keanu Benton um, continuing to be just this god mammoth at nose tackle um, and the West's best defensive tackle. Um, Mema Jongmada blossoming into an awesome tackle machine, middle linebacker. And John Torchio and Kamoi Latu uh, crushing dudes at safety. But you could throw on the Badgers, and a lot of teams did. We've talked about this with Minnesota. It definitely came up that Kaliak Manis threw for 319 yards against this team. Well, Aiden O'Connell threw for 320 yards against this team. Peyton Thorne threw for 265 yards and two touchdowns against this team. Hell, Tommy DeVito completed 18 passes against this team. So based on the numbers from that murderer's row that I just rolled out, C.J. Stroud throwing for five touchdowns against this team, which he did, isn't surprising. <clears throat> so Wisconsin was not great at covering like opposing um, wide receivers in any way, shape, or form in the secondary. And I could say that they finished fifth in the Big Ten in sacks. But you have to understand, that's bad for Wisconsin. They're coming off the Jim Leonard era, where they're just screaming heat from those four linebackers and just stacking sacks with this defense. Fifth is not great for them. And a big part of that is, there's this holdover from like this era, like two years ago, really, where North, uh, where Wisconsin had this unreal group of four linebackers who all churned out like double digit sacks and like 15 tackles for loss each. Nick Herbig was the last guy from that group, again, which is kind of like though that personnel has gone out the door over the past two years. He was the last guy. And if you take him out, and you take Benton out, who remembers a nose tackle, that's half of Wisconsin sacks right there, gone. And again, that's from a team that's used to cranking out sacks from the linebackers. That production ain't there anymore. And they, again, no other linebacker other than Herbig generated sacks for them last year. So add to this the fact that Herbig, Benton, and Torchio are all gone last year. And add to that the fact Wisconsin had a ton of really good fortune in terms of interceptions last year. Um, and a lot of that was from Torchio alone. And they probably are not going to repeat that stuff. So John Mina is still there at middle linebacker. And I need to pause here and talk about him for a second. Um, because Mayma um is from Illinois. Per specifically, He's from Stevenson High, High School in Lincolnshire, Illinois. 
That is most famously Cam Green's high school, but it's a high school that has been very fruitful for Northwestern. Baseball player Willie Bourbon is from there. Matt Micucci, Northwestern kicker, is from there. Um, Northwestern's got a really good historic relationship with Stevenson. So, Mayma Jongmada, linebacker from Stevenson. Keep in mind, this is Wisconsin's best linebacker right there, right now. Maybe Wisconsin's best player against the run. So think about that. The best anti-run player at Wisconsin. In addition to his Wisconsin offer, Mayma Jongmada had offers from Cornell, Dartmouth, Navy, Penn, Princeton, and Tulane. Guess where he didn't have an offer from? So. Seriously? Moving on. Don't make me angry. You won't like me when I'm angry. Seriously? Mm-hmm. John Mita, so John Mita is still there, manning the middle for this Wisconsin defense. And they're still going to have a ton of beef up front across that three-man front because it's Wisconsin. And they still have Latu at safety. And they'll be getting Hunter Wohler back from injury also at safety. So they're going to have a pair of freight trains at safety. And also, in a general sense, this is Wisconsin. It's the Wisconsin D. They're going to be great against the run. But this ain't exactly a great time to be turning over the coaching staff of this defense. Given all these issues I talked about with the pass, um, against the pass, I'm not sure where they're going to get a pass rush from this year. Um, And their corners are mediocre. And, you know, the whole losing the best defensive coordinator in the nation thing. So long term, sure. Fickle's a defensive guy, and he's a great coach. He's going to straighten this thing out. But short term, for this year, I mean, for anyone who can throw and is going to try to throw all day, I don't think this is going to be the Badger defense that we're all used to seeing. All right, so talking about the Badger offense, I, I almost think there's some addition by subtraction here at uh, at quarterback with uh, Graham Mertz making his way down to Florida. But uh, to Tell me if I'm wrong here, Scus. You know, it's funny. His, his stats weren't horrible last year, minus the interceptions. Um, but I was just looking, like, because, John, you mentioned, like, they weren't that bad on defense. I was looking at their schedule. Um, their wins last year came against Illinois State, New Mexico State, Northwestern, Purdue, Maryland, and Nebraska. They lost to Wazoo. They got smoked by Illinois. They lost to Michigan State. And remember, in they that Purdue to... game that they won, in that Purdue game that they won, Aiden O'Connell threw for 320 yards. Yeah. They lost to Minnesota at home, which I don't think they've done in a long, 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 long time. Um, I don't know how good they were last, but like, I don't know. Mertz wasn't horrible. Here, here's the thing, though. Everything you thought you knew about the Wisconsin offense, throw it out the window. They have 10 returning starters plus a transfer QB who was like, who's a two year starter at SMU. Throw it all out the window. This is going to be fascinating. Um, they are, so Luke Fickle, new coach, he's brought in Phil Lungle, Phil, Phil Lungo, the offensive coordinator who's been at North Carolina the last couple of years. They're going to switch the University of Wisconsin to the air raid. Whoa. That broke my brain. <laughs> um, now they swear it's still going to be run heavy. Not like, and, and to be fair, this makes all the sense in the world for a, in the long run. Wisconsin's offensive issues historically are quarterback and wide receiver recruiting, pro relevance beyond the offensive line and running back position. Just the way the the pro game is going, like 
This makes a lot of sense. The air raid is still a feature back type offense with plenty of running options. Um, however, it really goes against the strength of Wisconsin and it's going to require everyone on the team other than Tanner Mordecai, the, 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 the transfer from SMU to learn a new scheme. Um, they have two incoming uh, offensive starters from Cincinnati, uh, offensive line starters from Cincinnati that are coming up with Luke Fickle since he didn't run the air raid last year. So this is this is a fascinating change. Um, How are they going to run the air raid in Madison in November? So so I mean here's like, yeah exactly. Now here's the thing like like Lungo, when you look at North Carolina, they were roughly like fifty fifty run pass last year. So like this is not this is not Sunny Dykes air raid. This is not Texas Tech air raid. Um, it like conceptually right. It's um four receivers and a, and, a, and a running back a couple of those receivers could be tight ends like there's you know and, and actually i'm going to talk about that specifically with purdue in a minute um so like i don't know it's just going to be really it's just going to be really interesting to see how this plays out um I, now I, this could all I be apo- a, a, i apologize scuzz that i already used my bill callahan reference already earlier <laughs> in the podcast <laughs> Well, again, hey, there's there's it, no statute of limitations on Bill yeah. Callahan references. This this makes sense in the long run. It really does because it it allows Wisconsin to still be a run force team, be a run a primary run team, but adapt in a way to meet the game where it's going and address some of their issues. They haven't had a competent quarterback at Wisconsin in forever. Um, they haven't had incredible wide receiver talent there in forever. Like, like, like the days of Russell Wilson and uh, Jared Aberderis are almost a decade ago, if not longer, maybe, maybe more than a decade. That's like, it, it's just like the, the game has changed and they have not. And that's fine for them if they want to beat up on the West, every, you know, three out of every four years. But if they have any aspirations beyond that, and you, and you, you know, Luke Fickle's got aspirations beyond that. Um, they've got to change with the times a little bit. So I, re- regardless, like this, oh, this might be a lot of smoke and mirrors. They, they you know, they, they might come out this year and be like, no, we've decided we're just going to like pound the ball down people's throats. Cause we have Braylon Allen and a bunch of like monsters on offensive line. Um, but again, like we'll see. So, so let's, let's break it down a little bit. So Tanner Mordecai, um, that's the other thing. Everybody's really excited about Tanner Mordecai. He was this incredible quarterback at SMU. He was so good. All these, you know, Great at running the system, accurate, not a lot of picks, etc. Um, that's all true. He was really good at SMU. Their schedule was cake, and they lost all of their big games. That includes losing to Maryland, losing to Central Florida, losing to Tulane, losing to Cincinnati, losing to BYU, and TCU. But, like, I mean, TCU went to the national championship, right? Um, Tanner Mordecai was sacked six times versus the Bearcats, and um, at least two or three times in those other games. So, so basically, everyone's going to look at Wisconsin and, oh, you've got all these incredible run-blocking offensive linemen who are trying to learn the air raid and more complicated passing schemes. We're going to attack the shit out of you and try to sack your quarterback and make him uncomfortable, which, by the way, has paid dividends in the past based on his tape. Now, in Wisconsin's favor, like the offensive linemen that they have are really talented. So it might just be a matter of time. Um, it might be a matter of... Um, just finding the right fit. Like it, it could come together very nicely. The wide receivers last year looked a lot better to me specifically, like the yards per catch, the explosiveness, like 
pretty darn good, especially for Wisconsin. I mean, most of them were in the 14 to 15 yards per catch range, which is like great, um, especially relative to some of their, their Big Ten West brethren. Um, they got they got some plug-and-play transfers at wide receivers as well. And then, of course, Braylon Allen is still there at running back um, to, to, to tear. Like, defenses are going to have to prioritize making sure they stop him too, right? So th- this could all come together very nicely. But I'm, I just, I'm not confident that the pass pro is going to be there. I'm not confident that Lungo is going to be comfortable. Um, like there are going to be there are going to be hiccups and bumps in the road, and I just think when you when you look at the pieces Wisconsin has added versus the pieces Iowa has added on offense, I think Iowa's offense has way more upside um, and way more potential. And so I like that's why when we were talking about Iowa a minute ago, I just I I I think they come to Camp Randall, I think they knock off the Badgers and they walk away with the division. It's such a weird situation because there's certainly a possibility that especially against like certain teams that maybe aren't as good defensively, but are good offensively, Wisconsin's going to be playing like shootout football. And I don't even know how to process that. Like with the Wisconsin (laughs) that we know, like the idea that like they, if the line does come together and if there are teams that can't get to Mordecai, um, and and put him on the ground that he might be able to throw the ball and really move this team through the air while the other team does the exact same thing to them and it's it's very strange um it it's it's very interesting i mean i, I definitely get it like because they do have a lot of pieces there and if they can adapt then yep. then they're still going to have a good run defense and it's like you know if, if they have a dynamic offense and a good run defense, that's way more than what a lot of teams have. So, like, I, I definitely get it. But, yeah, the idea that all of Wisconsin's O-linemen are suddenly going to become awesome at pass pro, I'm like, okay. Like, that's a heck of a switch. So, so When they gave up 27 sacks last year, yeah. um, I, like, that's a high for as long back as I can see. Um, so, I, like... Yeah. And, yeah, and again, know. and it's a, and again, it's a big switch. Like, there's this is a massive change that this team's going through, and I mean, it's yeah. it's for the best. But I I think to Scuzz's point, a lot of people are penciling them in for big things. Like, this isn't going to take time. So, are are we thinking Wisconsin or Iowa is the best in the West right now? Uh, to me, oh, to me, it is. To me, Iowa's better on both sides of the ball. Yeah, okay. they have more, or, or more more upside on both sides of the ball. I just I feel much better about them. Than I do Wisconsin. And it's funny too, like, again, like, I know people who are th- used to being like Iowa defense, Wisconsin defense. This Iowa defense is worlds better than where Wisconsin's yeah. defense is right now. It's not even close. Um, so, yeah, on the basis of that, yeah, for, for sure, I'm putting Iowa ahead of Wisconsin. I, I mean, Wisconsin has to travel to Illinois. That is not going to be easy. Um, they have Ohio State. I do, I do not believe uh, Iowa has Ohio State. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, now there are other, there are other crossovers are Rutgers and Indiana. So maybe that doesn't matter, but, um, I just like head to head. I, 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 I would, I mean, like, yeah, head to head. I just, I, I'd go with Iowa like yeah. eight out of 10 times right now. I think I mean, we'll see once, once we've got, you know, a few games under the belt, we like, they don't play until what mid October. So we got plenty of time to see both these teams before, they actually face off, but like and, if things are, are 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 playing out the way we think they play out, like yeah, I think Iowa is a is a favorite on the road at Wisconsin. 
I mean, just for, from a Northwestern perspective too, I mean, again, it's like everything's discussed. Like, I don't see a path to how we're going to pressure Tanner Mordecai. And given that, like, they're, Wisconsin's very likely going to be able to move the ball against us in a big way. By this point in the season, whether it's Ben Bryan or, or Brennan Sullivan, we're going to know we have a quarterback and we're going to know the extent to which we can hit this team, you know, and on their soft underbelly. And if there's a, if there's a path, that's the path in this game. If you or a loved one is seriously injured by someone else's negligence, hire Kent Sinson of the Sinson Law Group. After over a decade prosecuting murder cases in Chicago, Sinson opened his own firm focused on wrongful death and personal injury cases. He specializes in car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and other transportation accidents, as well as construction accidents, medical negligence, slip and falls, product liability, and more. Millions recovered for clients. No fee unless he wins. The Sinson Law Group. Compassion, empathy, and vigorous advocacy. Go to SinsonLawGroup.com or call 312-332-2107 for a free consultation and go Cats. All right, so now we get to what could theoretically be the final game at Ryan Field as we know it. Uh, November 18th at home, Purdue, uh, a team that, you know, why how they were able to keep Jeff Brom as long as they were is beyond me. Um, you know, Louisville hired a coach before they decided to hire Brom. So, you know, there are two coaches past where we thought they'd be, but, uh, it's, it's funny what an awful coach at your alma mater will do for your motivations. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's so true. So true. Um, but yeah, here we are Purdue. Uh, what, what do we know? I mean, this is a, a Ryan Walters coach team, Yeah, but what kind of talent is there? Yeah, so I mean, it's it's not just this is a Ryan Walters coach team. We have now reached the Ryan Walters portion of this podcast because his fingerprints are all over the last two teams that that we're going to be doing here. Um, and the first one is Purdue. So yeah, Walters taking over um, at as at as head coach at Purdue after two unreal years as Illinois' defensive coordinator, and his new DC at Purdue, Kevin Kane was the linebackers coach at Illinois. So it's a it's a full Illinois squad that they're bringing over here. It's going to be very interesting to see just how quickly Walters can work his magic um, with a defense that was really mediocre last year. But honestly, that's kind of a compliment to Purdue. Um, if you look at them kind of historically, this was probably like the ninth or 10th best defense in the conference that extends across most categories. However, if you look at Purdue's stats, and this goes to the thing Sam talked about off the top, and I'm sure Scuzz is going to talk about it too. But if you look at Purdue's stats, you might very quickly say, based on Purdue's defensive stats or lack thereof, you might very quickly say, this looks like a team that possessed the ball a lot. And you would be correct. Purdue wasn't like Minnesota or anything, but they were 26th in the nation in time of possession. And that definitely provided a lot of support to a defense that does not have much to work with. So on one hand, Purdue does have a couple of interesting pieces in outside linebackers, Kydron Jenkins and Nick Carraway, um, and safeties, Cam Allen and Snoozy Kane. Um, and obviously... A couple of new coaches, this new brain trust, <clears throat> who knows exactly how to get the most out of those guys. And for the exact same reason, 
Purdue's bringing in a ton of transfers on defense, which is no surprise given Ryan Walter's pedigree, okay? So some of those guys, not all, because it's not this murderer's row. It's just a lot of guys who are eager and willing to play with Walters. Um, Some of those guys could hit and they could shine. But on the flip side, this defense is not stacked with talent by any stretch of the imagination, and they no longer have the benefit of an offensive genius on the other side of the ball. So my guess is long-term, the Purdue defense is going to get much, much better because it's Ryan Walters. But short-term, they're going to suffer under whatever kind of drop-off Scuzz is probably about to map out here. Uh, So yeah, I mean, the the Jeff Brom offense is gone, but uh, what, I mean... Do we know what Ryan Walters' offensive philosophy is? Yeah, because he hired Graham Harrell, oh, uh, boy. former Texas Tech quarterback coming over from West uh, West Virginia. Tran- Purdue will be transitioning from Brome Ball to the Air Raid. Are um, we just getting all Air Raid in the West this year? Well, I don't. I, I, I like. We're we're all starting over on offense, Sam. Is basically what's happening. Okay. I mean, with the with the exception of Iowa, who like yeah. getting competent is kind of like starting over for yeah. Iowa. Like literally, the whole West is starting over Sa- on offense. Sam, Big Ten West football has to die before the Big Ten West can die. That's just an order of operation. <laughs> <laughs> what is already dead can yeah. never die. What is dead can never die. <laughs> Oh, man. So, um, I mean, the major difference between Harrell's approach uh, based on just what he did at West Virginia and and what Brome did at, at Purdue is is that he'll be a little bit more balanced on run pass, um, i.e. more, you know, more towards run than, than Brome was. And then um, he's going to want to increase yards per attempt and try to attack downfield more. Um Harold has already talked about running the air raid in the Big Ten and having to do that with multiple tight ends. He's basically been like, "Yeah, hey, you have four targets on the field, but you can do that with two tight ends and two receivers, and we're going to have to be, you know, bigger in our personnel to match up with defenses, et cetera. So much like Rule at Nebraska, like he's already coming in, planning to be adaptive, understanding the the tenets of, of Big Ten football and that you can't just, you know, show up with your with your rich rod gimmick offense and hope that it works. Um it will be a very interesting comparison to Wisconsin. So Wisconsin and Purdue play in West Lafayette on September 22nd. Just like really intriguing game to kind of circle to see how these two, not, not that I think it's, it's likely to be a, a close game, but like to see how these two offenses are, are, are coming along at that stage. Um, so who's gone? Uh, Purdue, Purdue lost a lot. Uh, There's th- all three of their quarterbacks. Um, the top two wideouts who represented uh, half of the receptions uh, they're starting running back King Daru. He got injured, so he didn't play. He wasn't, you know, the starter of the whole year, but he started the season. And then they also lost two starting offensive linemen. Um, now they have transfers boosting the O-line. They have Devin Mockaby back uh, to carry the ball. He had a stellar second half last season. Um, but the returning wideouts who who are back from last season did did not look very good. Um, uh, uh, T.J. Sheffield is, is, you know, kind of been a stalwart in this offense, but he's just not dynamic or explosive. Um Marshawn Rice had a lot of pedigree as a recruit, but like he he really needs to break through to for this unit to do anything this year. They do not have a lot of talent or pedigree coming in either from the transfer portal or from the recruiting classes. Um, tight end also looks underwhelming on paper, so the targets here are like really questionable. Now, where they do maybe have some hope is that Hudson Card transfers over from Texas. And um, frankly, he looked pretty good in limited action the last couple of years there. I think he, he, he got into almost all 12 games last year for Texas. So 
Um, he's been he's been out there. He's looked decent. If he can get some protection and you know build some relationship with with the targets, um, I mean he he definitely throws a great deep ball. He's, he can certainly help you know attack vertically if they can find some fast guys with hands. So he's a great fit for Harold's offense. But um, uh, this this whole thing has the vibe of a major work in progress for me in twenty twenty three. So. It seems like we're we're thinking Purdue is going to drop way off off of last year. Uh, are they going to drop all the way to the bottom, or is is that is that our? I spot? mean, Phil Phil Steele Phil Steele has them below us, but his magazine came out in June, so a lot's changed. Yeah, I think a lot of people. I mean, I mean, again, they had a, a special season last season, and I think a lot of people are giving them a lot of credit based off of that. Yeah, I don't think they're going to be a good football team. I think one of the things that is always given way too much short shrift is like Jeff Brom was a wizard. That guy was incredible. I don't have on the offensive side of the ball. There's not a coach I respected more in the big 10 than him. He was incredible. So Charlie Jones had like, I don't know, 25 catches at Iowa in 2021 comes to Purdue catches 110 balls for 1300 yards and 12 TDs. That's Jeff Brome. Well, and and Aiden O'Connell, but that's but that's the that's the Jeff Brome system. Right. And that's and, and again, and no shade, but he caught every one of those passes was thrown by Aiden O'Connell. And and again, no shade. But Aiden O'Connell is a quarterback who like was not recruited. He was a walk on. And then literally by his ability to run Brom's system became one of the yeah. best quarterbacks in the I mean, that's it's a massive loss. And the idea that like Graham Harrell was an awesome quarterback and obviously a big Mike Leach disciple. Um, but the idea that he's going to be Jeff Brom, I mean, even if he's good, that's not the same as being Jeff Brom. And, and Walters, yeah. Walters will, I mean, again, he'll, he'll build something big time on the defensive side of the ball. But again, they're going to have to recruit guys to do that. Like they don't, those guys are not there yet. And I think for this, for this period of time, time, yeah, they're going to, it's going to be a rough rebuild. All right, so that brings us uh, to the end of the schedule. To uh, I don't know, I don't even know where to go. I mean, this used to be the know, best part of the, of the summer for us. Yeah. It was always the best, the best, the best for last, right? Yep. The Illinois preview. We get we get to just stomp on our in-state rivals because they were inept and they're no longer inept. We are now the inept ones. Yep. And so Ryan Walters is gone, but. You know, they brought in Jim Leonard not to be the defensive coordinator, <laughs> but to be a defensive. Oh, I have to laugh like, so I don't consultant. cry. I mean, I, come on here. It's good God. I mean, I like so the way I would frame this from a defensive perspective is if you're old enough to remember the '95 and '96 Northwestern football seasons, then you kind of understand exactly where the Illinois defense is right now because the rest of the Big Ten, if not the nation is still just reeling from what Illinois just did over the past two seasons and going, where the hell did that come from? Because with no precedent and zero warning, Illinois became one of the best defensive football teams in the country. And now just like with NU way back then, everyone's looking now to see if the Illini can keep it going. So first of all, so, so, so much credit to Walters for doing the job that he did over the past two seasons. And so much credit to Brett Bielema for bringing him in in the first place. And after Walters left for Purdue, 
Bielema made the obvious and right move to promote Aaron Henry from, from within. I remember when we had Bradley Locker on the pod um, before Northwestern hired Braun to be our defensive coordinator. Um, one of the guys on Locker's shortlist was Henry because Henry had done such a great job for Illinois as a position coach and he was viewed as a coach in waiting. And we were kind of like, probably not for us because Illinois is probably going to promote him. And that's exactly what they did. Um, so Aaron Henry is the, the DC, former defensive backs coach, DC at Illinois now. And yes, <laughs> as this ludicrous bonus, thanks to personal relationships, no doubt, as this stupid, monster, ridiculous bonus, Illinois has grabbed the god Jim Leonard for a season as a special assistant, um, which is just insane since Leonard is exponentially more qualified for Henry's job than Henry is, and that is in no way a knock on Henry. It's just Jim Leonard's resume is unimpeachable. It's the greatest DC candidate resume that exists, and he's just going to be an assistant for this team this year. He's no doubt going to have a really big impact. Um, With all of this said, though, it's important to separate if I think when you're looking at Illinois' defense for this year, look at Illinois' defense for last year. And kind of look at what would have made Illinois a quite, quite good defense last year, and then what made it a god defense last year. So what Illinois had last year was this excellent anti-run, three-man defensive line rotation, and a really decent group of linebackers. And that combination would, with Walter's coaching would have been enough to produce a very, very good defense. Um And Walters was, you know, a thousand percent the guy to get maximum production out of that group of guys. Except Illinois also started an NFL secondary. That's not an exaggeration. Three guys in that secondary will start in the NFL this year. That's Devin Witherspoon, Jartavius Martin, and Sidney Brown. They were all drafted in the top three rounds of the NFL draft, one in the I mean, first. Witherspoon was, was a top 10 guy, yeah. right? One, yeah, Witherspoon's top 10. So one in the first, one in the second, one in the third round of the NFL draft. And the fourth guy, Kendall Smith, signed with Washington as a free, rate, free agent. Those are the four guys Illinois started last year. And their production was ludicrous. By point of reference... Wisconsin was second in the Big Ten as a team in interceptions with 17 interceptions. The four guys I just named had 17 interceptions by themselves. That's how good this secondary was. So how do you replace that? You don't. You just don't. You don't come even close. Not anywhere, but especially not at Illinois. And Henry... The guy taking over at defensive coordinator was a secondary coach, which bizarrely means he might not necessarily be the perfect match for this team's strengths because this this team's strengths ain't in the secondary. They're all up front. So this is what I talked about with like last year. The defense you see from Illinois this year is kind of like what this defense would look like last year if they didn't have this God secondary. It's 100% a front to back built team. Um, so honestly though, um, from Bielema 
to the fact that they have Leonard on this squad, on this, you know, coaching staff now, to this rotation of land yachts they're going to have across the three-man front of this defense, it's going to feel like a vintage Wisconsin defense at Illinois this year. So up front, Jerzon Newton, Keith Randolph, Denzel Daxon, and yes, Tara Edwards will combine to form the best anti-run defensive line other than Iowa's in the West. Um, And at linebacker, Tariq Barnes is the only known commodity, um, but he is very good in the middle. You know, he was one of the Big Ten's best linebackers as a middle linebacker in their 3-4 scheme last year. And again, just to remind you one more time, they have Jim Leonard now if only for this year, and he's not the defensive coordinator, which means this guy can do nothing but sit and think of crazy ways to turn these linebackers loose, Um, and he's going to do it. He's going to figure out a way to do it. He's going to get the most out of Barnes, and he's almost certainly going to find the way to get the most out of other guys in this unit also. So this is all a very long way of saying that Illinois won't live up to the perfect storm they had the last two years. They can't. It's not possible. But there is still a lot up front here, and there's still a ton of good coaching here. They're going to be really good against the run. And if they find some linebackers who can get to the quarterback, they might be okay against the pass, even with all this turnover um, and and the fact they're not going to have much in the secondary. There's no way this defense isn't looking at a big drop-off from just the Titanic heights they were at last year. But when you compare them to other units in this conference going over turnover um, and trying to maintain lofty heights, like compared to a lot of those teams, Illinois really has what they need to cushion the fall here. So offensively, I mean, it's, they're just run, 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 right, Scus? I mean, Bielema's their coach. That That's kind of what they do. 544 rush attempts, 395 passing attempts. So yeah, that tracks. Now they didn't, you know, that they they um only one of their games was a was a one score game. So the, I think they were able to get pretty conservative on offense, especially with how that D played. And and John, to your point about the second year, like nobody was passing to come back on the Illini last year. But I'll say, so as I was reviewing, you know, twenty twenty two in review for Illinois, like their offense is a bit of a conundrum. But, you know, by all accounts, it was, it was good and. and and it, it improved in very dramatic and critical ways from the prior years. Um, the two prior seasons, they're, they're, they completed barely more than 50% of their passes. And last year it was 70%. They had an increase of 60 passing yards per game. They had a plus 10 delta in turnover margin. That's because that's because their secondary picked off seventeen balls. <laughs> yeah, that's part of it. But their their QBs threw less less picks as well. Um, a little bit of of an increase in sacks. Um, there was a slight dip in um in yards per carry. Uh, maybe on maybe those two things are on account of a, a stationary quarterback. Um, and you know the yards per attempt went up with that completion percentage, but they did not see an increased explosiveness uh, to their offense. Um, so. Like what this all added up to is that like they were a lot better, but they only averaged 24 points per game up from 20, the prior two like pretty inept seasons. So that's, that's kind of weird. Um, I just expected them to, to have looked better given what, 
we got from Illinois overall in terms of, you know, record and, and who they knocked off, et cetera. Um, now, I, like I said, I think they were able to play pretty conservative given the D um, and given the way that, that, you know, they outscored opponents or, or, or held opponents down, but it does portend that they maybe weren't as good as it looked on offense, or maybe they got like a little lucky. So I like to, to not to bury the lead or to unbury the lead. I don't know what, regardless TLDR, like, I think they're primed for a little bit of a drop off on, on offense because they're kind of starting over as many of the teams in the West are. But I think the cushion here comes in that they probably should have been better on it last year. They probably should have scored 27 or 28 points per game instead of the 24 that they got. So some of their drop is already like accounted for, if you will. Um, so let, let's dig in. The, the, there's turnover. There's plenty of turnover here. So Tommy DeVito uh, was the quarterback last year. He had a really great season, better than expected. Um, he's gone. And then the incredible Chase Brown departs. Chase Brown has been the life force of this offense for four years, um, a perfect fit for Bielema and everything he wants to do. Um, there's some solid offensive line talent that left. They had, you know, this mega tight end in Luke Ford, who who he never really broke through offensively after transferring back from Georgia. But um, for whatever, like, for better or for worse, he's gone as well. Um, so going forward, like, the offensive line is going to be fine. Uh, they have a higher talent level, um, although probably less experience. Um, there's a little nostalgia sprinkled on top in that Joshua Kurtz is going to be starting at center for them, um, for all you Bears fans out there. But uh, running back is going to be a drop-off. Chase was a special player. Um, Reggie Love has been a part of this offense for for a good three years now. He's good, uh, but he's not the same guy as Chase. Uh, there is depth. They should be fine. Like They should be able to run the ball, like no problem. But... Um, they're going to need a boost from the passing game uh, to kind of hold serve with where they've been the last couple of years. So reasons for optimism. Um, the top uh, two wide receivers return, including the now grizzled Isaiah Williams, who is still on this football team. Um, he led them in yards and receptions last year, but he only averaged 8.7 uh, yards per catch. Um, so including Isaiah for the top six return, they add a nice looking freshman in uh, a guy named Malik Elzey. But, so there, there's, you know, there's a fair amount there for their new quarterback to work with. And that new quarterback is Luke Altmeyer. Um, he's a transfer from Old Miss where he was the number two guy, but didn't play pretty much at all. Uh, he certainly has the physical tools to, you know, match DeVito's numbers from last year. But my question is like, can this passing game prop up the running game in a post Jace Brown era? Because it's, it's been the opposite that, you know, you know and, and Bielema has always been a run first type of offense. If, if you don't have Chase Brown forcing safeties and linebackers to step up, forcing teams to stop the run first, opening up play action. If you can't do that, like what, what does that mean for the passing game? What does that mean for an Isaiah Brown? Is he able to get open? And an Isaiah Williams, is he able to get open? Is he able to create enough space fast enough? Um, so I like, they may be fine and kind of stand pat with where they were last year. They might have a little bit of a drop off. I like, I would expect a little bit of inconsistency from this offense, if nothing else. Um, Bielema's track record is being able to, you know, create a running offense out of just about anything is is, is well known. He's kind of MacGyver in that way. So uh, maybe they'll get there and be just fine. But I think um, combining that, John, with what you talked about, like it, it feels like this team's going to come a little bit back to earth, but still be competitive. So, uh, you know, sounds like they're going to be 
middle to upper middle of the of the West. They're what an, we're thinking they're an interesting conundrum to me because on one hand, I kind of wonder, and Scuzz alluded to it a little bit, like. I'm kind of wondering, like, from a coaching standpoint, what they're doing on offense here. Like, they're it's a it's a team that, again, with like a good offensive line and Chase Brown and Tommy DeVito having a pretty good season. Like, they basically tanked down the stretch um, as a football team. Northwestern game, just throw that out. I mean, by that point, we were just a total disaster. Um, if you, you take that game out and you look at basically the entire stretch run. Despite getting great performances from their defense every week, I think they lost just about every one of those games. Um, so that's worrisome. The, the, yard, the yards per carry really tailed off. So they were, you know, they were well in the fours, right? Uh, up up until like from from you know Minnesota and Nebraska were right around four, and they dropped a three point three against Michigan State, dropped a three point one per carry against Purdue. Yeah. Before popping back up to 4.4 against Michigan and us. So, that, so yeah, there's something to those two like losses that's really weird. There's something like that somehow that they're, they're – I don't know if it's that they're predictable or that their offense is easy to read or whatever. So that's – you know, for, if an Illinois – if I was an Illinois fan, that's where I would be worried. Um, obviously, like none of that portends much to us. Obviously, you all saw what Illinois did to us last year when they had – on the offensive side of the ball – by this point in the season, I mean, again, not to put the car before the horse, but even in best case scenarios by game 12 for us, I don't know what our defensive line is going to be doing this season. And, you know, but if you take all that out, I mean, I, I definitely could see how this Illinois offense could run into some trouble because they ran into some trouble last year. On the flip side, if you step back and look at this, aside from Michigan, there aren't many teams that can claim to be this good in the trenches. And the trenches are what matter. Illinois is looking at having a great offensive line and a great defensive line. And there are very few teams that have the ability to make that claim. Um, keep in mind, like even like a Wisconsin, where you're like, oh, Wisconsin's got the pedigree, like they'll find guys. Illinois knows exactly who their top four guys are across that three-man front, and they're awesome. Every single one of them is really good. And again, yeah, they're starting Olin Kruitz's kid at center. Like they're, they're plugging guys in like Illinois is a really strong trenches football team. And I mean, what team wouldn't want that? So that's putting a hard floor on however far down they can go. It's just a strong team. Yeah. That's so for, for me, like they're like, I'm comparing them against Minnesota. Kind of like if I've got Iowa at the top and Wisconsin, you know, not super far behind, and then Nebraska, Purdue, Northwestern in the bottom. I'm I'm, I'm looking at Illinois, and Minnesota, and kind of comparing comparing and contrasting the two. Um, Minnesota's drop off on D feels much more precipitous. Oh, me, given oh yeah, the, the Time Lord situation we talked about last pod, and then while they have Kaliak Manas and maybe like a, a higher upside on offense, I just I don't think it can make up for. Um, Illinois advantage on D and so like I have the Illini pegged to finish third but I don't I don't love their ability to knock off either of the top two I just I I think that's going to be hard sledding for them and I also think to your point John like the, the last two years they came out of nowhere and stunned the shit out of everyone I, they have they have a you know very clearly marked target on their back like you think Iowa isn't smarting from that 9-6 loss last year like you you know they're going to be gunning for Illinois and then Wisconsin, Wisconsin got smoked at home by 24 points by, by the Illini. Right. Like, th- like this is going to be a pride game for both those teams. Um, 
So I like for what, for whatever that's worth, I just, I just, I don't, I don't see Illinois threatening either of those two at the top, but um, I see them staunchly in the, the third spot in the pecking order in the West. Yeah. Agreed. So that is the Northwestern schedule. Um, top to bottom. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of intrigue this year. Uh, obviously, you know, as, like we talked about earlier uh, tonight, there's going to be even more intrigue le- next year with no divisions and 18 teams. And uh, we thought we knew what the schedule was, but obviously that's going to be changing. But uh, let's worry about 2024 uh, next year. Um, we've got our work cut out for us this year. And you know, as we get closer and closer to September 3rd, you know, we'll be learning more and more, or hopefully we'll be learning more and more about this team. Uh, what to expect, you know, with summer camp starting. Um, we'll we'll just have to see. I mean, lots of question marks, obviously. Uh, we'll see how it all comes together. And But at the end of the day, it's, it's almost football season, and that's just exciting. Yeah, obviously we're, I mean, we know Northwestern is getting into fall, you know, is getting into fall camp here, is starting up practices. Um we're still, we may not have a, you know, we're, we're going to get you that offense and that defense. We may not have one for you next year, next week, but don't worry. You're going to get the full offense. You're going to get the full defense this year in particular. We have to see, we have to see what this team is in practices. Like we have to wait for this 30 day window post Fitz's firing to, to close. And then we have to see Who's at practice? Who's playing at practice? What's shaping up here? And, and you know, like, we have to see exactly what these pieces are. I mean, we think we know what a lot of things are, but we have to get confirmation on that before we can try to say anything about anything here. So we're going to gather it all up and, and figure it all out for you. And then you'll you'll get the previews from us that you're used to. I guess I'll just say briefly, like, I think, you know, the optimistic view um, that, it's the, the, the newly informed optimist, optimistic view that I would have is that um, for the first time in, in a long time, there's a potential. Again, we have to see it, but there's a potential for a pretty seismic shift in offensive philosophy at this team. And when you add in some of the transfer players that, that are coming to NU on the offensive side that are very likely to play and have huge roles in that philosophy. Um, and I like, I'm not trying to like, I'm not trying to like uh, be a be a a stand for Mike Bajaki or anything, but like if Northwestern is is better than we expect them to be this next season, that's where I think a lot of it comes from. And then similarly on the other side, like we were all excited about David Braun; he's been super impressive to date in any you know space that you've heard him talk, et cetera. So that's that's where the hope lies. And the other side of the coin is that maybe things don't look that different from last year. Yeah, I know like we're we won't get into it too much, but you know, David Braun gave interviews to the Big Ten Network at the start of practice, and I think one of the things he said was I think offensive line, defensive line, and wide receiver like really need to get into camp and and start working. And that's one way of saying exactly what we're saying, which is basically like, look, yep. these are, as we all know, position groups in massive flux and we gotta get this into camp and we gotta start sorting this stuff out and then, you know, we're going to figure out along with everyone else exactly what's looking like what and what, you know, what we think that means for this Northwestern season. 
Uh, so, uh, with that being said, I think we should go ahead and uh, put a bow on this one for tonight. Uh, head to our website, westlotpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Pirates, And email the show, westlotpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. And look for us in the West Lot of Ryan Field playing the red pirate flag, because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Scows, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Thank you.